Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Christ South Online. I'm Scott Suskovic, pastor, senior pastor of Christ Lutheran. And it's always good to come on down here and celebrate with all the good people here at Christ South. Excited also about that. We finally hit phase 2.5. Can't wait for phase 2.75 in which we're getting better and better. But even though we've got kickoff Sunday next Sunday for all the campuses, it's still going to be primarily online for everybody. And we look forward to that time in which we can reconvene as this germ keeps us apart. We're looking forward to that time in which we're going to be one time back together physically. Until then, our online worship is really making a strong impact, not just with our own congregation, but certainly beyond the walls beyond the walls of Christ Lutheran and Charlotte, North Carolina, even beyond the walls of the United States. So it's good to be here. We are wrapping up our sermon series called No Fear. And Pastor Matt, I can't think of a sermon series that's been more timely to what's going on in the world than what we've hit with this No Fear. And we've talked about uh, the fear of failure, the economic fear, anxiety, realities of this world, but I think this one today is really going to drive it home. It's on sickness, the fear of sickness. And today in the United States, with about 190,000 COVID-related deaths and over 6 million positive tests, there's a lot of people out there concerned. And and even some really freaked out about this, understandably so. So whenever sickness hits and even tragedy strikes with death, it seems like we ask the same questions over and over again. Why me? As if God is using illness to punish individuals. Or what did I do to deserve this? As if there's a very clear cause and effect relationship between health and sickness. If I only had enough faith, maybe this wouldn't happen. As if God only heals the uber-righteous. Or we hear this is part of God's will. As if every tragedy has been orchestrated by God Almighty. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about illness, sickness, and death. And when we ask these hard questions, I want to give you just one bit of advice. If, if someone comes up to you in your greatest tragedy and sorrow and gives you a one or two sentence answer to those tough questions, run away. <laughs> they surely don't know because it's far more complex than that. Humanity in written form has been asking these questions for over 4,000 years. It's one of the oldest questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? In fact, many scholars suggest that the book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. And that's one that specifically deals with this issue of sickness, tragedy, and suffering. Remember the story. In one day... 
Job has his whole world collapse. His children are all killed. His livestock are all stolen. His property is all burned to the ground, and he's got this mysterious illness, sickness, from the, the soles of his feet all the way to the crown of his head. And while he doesn't curse God, Job gets pretty upset. I, I'm not sure where we get this line, oh, he has the patience of Job. Job sure, certainly didn't show that. Job shook his fist and he stomped his feet. He cried out to God more than a couple of times. He would say, I'm not perfect. I get that. But I have done nothing to deserve this in my life. He finally got to the point in his anger. He said, I got a couple of questions for God. I want God to come down here. I want God to answer my questions. Well, be careful what you ask for. For out of the whirlwind, the Lord God did show up. And he began by asking Joe, where were you if you're so smart? Where were you when I put the universe in its place? Where were you when I put each star where it should be? Where were you when I scooped out the oceans and formed up the mountains? Tell me if you're so wise. Finally, at the end, God says to Job, listen, Job, trust me. I am God, and you are not. Trust me. Satisfied with that answer? Not always. Not always. But what I like about this book is that God gives us permission. God gives us permission to get angry and frustrated, to cry and scream out, How long, O oh Lord? And not just Job. There are faithful people throughout Scripture who really cry out to God, How long, O oh Lord, must we suffer? How long should this be going on? The book of Job gives us permission to be angry, to ask the tough questions, to shake our fist. And we could do all that, but let me just say this. The healing begins when the questions end. Oh, oh, keep on asking the questions. Keep on shaking your fist. Keep on stomping your feet. God gives us permission. God's big enough to take it. But the healing begins when the questions end. And to help us get our mind around that on this series here on No Fear, as we turn to sickness, I want to turn to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, John chapter 11. It's a famous story, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But before we get to that climatic point, we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Let me walk us through that text. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister, Martha. 
Now, these, these three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were close friends to Jesus. They weren't casual acquaintances. They weren't kind of disciples or large groups of followers that are around Jesus. No, they knew him personally. He ate with them. He calls them his friends. And when Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is sick, and it's not just a little flu bug, when he's really sick, it says this, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus hangs out a couple of more days. He he doesn't immediately go. It's only two miles away. If my best friend were sick, I'd be there. If your best friend was sick, You'd be there, wouldn't you? Two miles away. But Jesus waits a few days. Let's go on. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. He's not just dead. Lazarus is good and dead. What that means is Jesus didn't just show up and start doing compressions and start doing mouth to mouth. This this is not a story of resuscitation. He's been dead four days. And as Jesus finally shows up, finally comes to the home, says this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Now, this next line, I'm going to say as flat, flatly, it's an adverb, right? Flatly (laughs) as I can. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I wish that scripture were written like a play. You know, they give all these different clues and cues to the, to the actors. Exit stage right here. Whisper in his ear with great emotion of anger. So let me ask you, how did Martha say those words? Was it with anger? Lord, if you'd have been here, My brother would not have died. Was it disappointment? Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But you weren't. Was it frustration? Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Or deep sadness? Lord, If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. With what emotion? Probably all of them, or any of them. All of these spill out during times of great illness and particularly on death. Our grief takes so many different forms. That's the beauty of this passage. You can insert any emotion that you experienced 
during times of great sickness. Let's go on. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, again, let me say this as flatly as possible. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Again, what's the emotion? Jesus comes to her at the funeral. Just like you've got a friend that comes to you at the funeral and, you know, I'm sorry. People say dumb things at funerals because they don't know what to say. And so they say something like, um, uh, he's in a better place. Or the suffering is ended. Or this is part of God's will. Or what Jesus says here, your brother will rise again. So with what emotion did Martha say these words? Was it exasperation? Oh, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. That's not the point. I want him here next to me right now. Was that it? Was it dismissive of this Sunday school lesson? Oh, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. That's not what the problem is. Or was it resignation? Yeah, I guess that's true. On the last day, he will rise again, but I won't have dinner with them again. Again, the beauty of this passage is that it's all of those emotions. And whatever you experienced when well-meaning people say dumb things. So it's real. Now, the great thing about this, it's like the book of Job. Jesus doesn't scold Martha, much like God doesn't scold Job for his anger, for his, his questions, for his frustration. Jesus doesn't scold Martha. He meets her there in whatever emotion that she had. And then he says these words to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection? Martha, do you believe that whoever believes in me will never die but have eternal life? Martha, do you believe this? And not just Martha. The Gospel of John has this clever way of turning questions, not just to the character in the book, but right to you. Do you believe this? Or is this whole faith thing just some sort of Sunday school lesson? Do you believe this? Or is this some sort of a ritual you go through on a Sunday morning? Do you believe this? When the rubber hits the road, do you believe this? Do you live this? Oh, it doesn't take away the emotions. They're still there. St. Paul had this great, great phrase. He said, as Christians, we grieve. 
You know, I've never understood that pious Christian response that says you have to slap a smile on your face no matter the tragedy and whistle in the dark. I don't get that. No, Paul says as Christians, we grieve. The, the hole in our heart is gaping. The tears running down our face are real. Oh, as Christians, we grieve. And he says this, but we do not grieve as those do who have no hope. Isn't that great? We do not grieve as those do who have no hope. And when Paul uses that word hope, it's not wishful thinking. It's not like saying it's Labor Day weekend, I hope it doesn't rain out there. It's not wishful thinking. It's not saying that I hope the Tennessee is a Vols or Vols? Vols, man. All right, the Tennessee Vols, um, <laughs> I hope they have a football season this year. It's not wishful thinking. When Paul talks about hope, he uses two other adjectives. He says the sure and certain hope that because Jesus lives, so will we. And so will your brother Lazarus. Martha, do you believe this? And here's her answer. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Satisfying answer? Maybe not to some. They've got those questions of why this and why that and why me. But it is the same answer that God gave Job. Trust me. Do you believe this? Let me go back to what I said earlier. You can ask all the questions. You can stomp your feet and shake your fist all you want. But the healing begins when the questions stop. Let me give you an example. In my first church, there was a guy named Bob. And he was married for like, I don't know, 50, 60 years to his wife, Jean faithful, church-going people. And she got sick. And it took a long, long, agonizing time for her to die. I mean, years. Dementia set in. She got to the point that she couldn't communicate. He had to do, like, everything for her. And when she died... anger in his eyes, the steam coming out of his ears. Pastor Scott, I, I will never understand why God would do such a thing to such a godly woman like my wife. And even years later, it wouldn't take much. Hey, Bob, how you doing? His eyes would squint, teeth would clench. I don't understand how God can do such a thing. There was not a saintly woman like her. Why would he do that? It was always there. The healing never came. Let me tell you another story. About 30 years ago, I got one of those phone calls that you dread to get. It's from my father-in-law. He said that his son, Brad, 
my wife's brother, had been killed tragically in a at work construction accident. Devastating for the whole community. Questions? Yeah. Anger? You bet. Sorrow? Deep. At the funeral, I mean, it was just teeming with people. I don't know how many. And we walked down as a family. And then the, the service began as the mother, Helen, turned to this huge room filled with people that knew the family forever. She put her hand on that oak casket and talked to the group about David losing his son. David's son had gotten sick in 1 Samuel. And while he was sick, David fasted and prayed and, and didn't wash and didn't sleep. But when then the son did die, David got up, washed, ate, and worshiped God. And people said, David, I don't understand. You're not grieving properly. Folks, there will always be people who will tell you, you're not grieving properly. Shame on them. It's your grief, not theirs. But they told David, you're not grieving. I don't get it. The child was alive and you're weeping and you're praying and you're fasting. The child dies and you eat and you worship and you bathe. I don't get it. Helen's got her hand on the casket and she's looking at this huge crowd of people and she begins the service this way by quoting the words, the answer of David. She said, my son is dead. He cannot come back to me. But one day, I will go to him. The healing begins when the questions end. I think there's a misconception that God is out there healing one person after another, that Jesus walked down the street and bam, bam, you're healed, you're healed. It's almost like going to an Oprah Winfrey show. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. It wasn't like that. Healings are rare, even back then. And the healing never was about the person. It was never about the disease. It was always a glimpse. A glimpse of that day when God will make all things new. When God will wipe away every tear from our eye. When pain and suffering and sickness will be no more. When darkness will be cast away and light forever. And death, that final enemy, will be destroyed. It doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, it's a glimpse of the coming of the kingdom of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? When Jesus says those words to Martha and to us, what does the word this mean? Do you believe this? I think about Psalm 23, often used at funerals. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not alone and not with fear because you are with me. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe you're going to spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe my cup overflows. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe you're going to pursue me with goodness and mercy all the days of my life. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that I will one day dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Until that day, we live in a dark and fallen sinful world and with sickness and death happens. You can shake your fist. You can stomp your feet. You can get angry with God. You can ask all the questions you want. God's big enough and God gives you permission. But the healing begins when the questions end. And you can hear what Jesus says to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Do you believe this? All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.